0: Well, I I, uh, encourage you to turn in your copy of Scripture or uh, uh, whether it's digital or uh, old school paper and cloth, which is what I use, uh, paper and leather, uh, but uh, turn in your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 2. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the church, not just any church, but our church. What is First First Baptist Church Norfolk all about and why do we do what we do? And we began looking in Acts chapter 9, verse 31 acts nine thirty one is a summary statement about the church and how the church had grown uh, endured persecution, but uh, then in Acts chapter nine they had peace, and the Bible says they were built up, and God was growing his church uh, and and there are two qualities that we see in that passage of scripture uh, that God I think speaks to us about today, and those those two qualities are walking by the fear of the Lord and in the power or the comfort of the Holy Spirit now the reason that was important is because I think it's important for us to understand that God's plan to change the world is a healthy church now this healthy church And God's plan God has a plan to change the world and he's going to change the world but his plan to change the world is the church this church the reason this church get this the reason this church exists is because God has a mission to fulfill and that mission is not to make Eric Thomas happy. That mission is to take the good news of his rescuing love to people in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and around the world. So that those who are far from God might be brought near through faith in Jesus Christ. So the church exists because God has a mission to fulfill. and. Uh, God will use a healthy church to fulfill his purposes and his mission. What makes a healthy church? A church that lives for God's pleasure by the fear of the Lord and a church that lives led by the Holy Spirit, uh, walking by the Spirit or walking in the comfort of the Spirit. So that was a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 because I think it's important for us to understand why we do what we do. Why do we gather here in this place? And why do we do this every single week? Why do we gather uh, again at at, uh, at at our at Volvo location? And why do we gather in the chapel with our Hispanic fellowship? And why do we gather at eight nine thirty? Or why do we gather with our Haitian congregation? Why do we have this room uh, and gather here in this room? What's the reason for that? Last week we looked at a similar ga- gathering uh, in a place. Uh, in Jerusalem, called the Temple, uh, and it was the prophet Isaiah. And he went to the temple, and when he went to the temple, he went there to worship the Lord. Probably went there to mourn a little bit because uh, King Uzziah was dead, and Isaiah was thinking, uh, What is this going to mean for him? What's it going to mean for Jerusalem and, and, uh, and the people of God? But when he got there, he encountered God. And in that encounter with holy God, you remember how it went uh, uh, in, the, in, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord in his temple, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And uh, the temple was filled with smoke, and the pillars shook. And the angels appeared, and they, they, they were there around the throne of God, and they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah saw that, and he responded. He saw God in his holiness, and he responded uh, with an acknowledgment of his own sinfulness. And he said, Woe is me, I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Uh, He was overwhelmed with a sense of his shortcomings because he saw God in all of his majesty and his perfection, and he knew God's holiness, and he knew his own sinfulness, but in that moment of worship, God taught uh, Isaiah about God's heart for forgiveness. Uh, God sent an angel to an altar and with tongs picked up a burning coal and symbolically touched Isaiah's lips. And he says, Because this coal has touched your lips, your your sin is purged. You see, God has a deep desire to forgive sin. That's what Jesus is all about. And God sent Jesus on a mission to provide a pathway to forgiveness of our sin. And and in worship, when we are like Isaiah, we, we gather for worship, we see God in all of his holiness. But in light of his holiness, we see our shortcomings, we see our sinfulness, but there's good news that God's heart of forgiving love is is running toward us even in worship. And this encounter with Isaiah, between Isaiah and God in, in the temple in worship, ends with Isaiah Saying, Here am I, Lord, send me. God says, Who's gonna go for us and whom shall we send and who, who's gonna go for us? And, and Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord, send me. And, and it, make no mistake, in worship, corporate worship that we gather together to do, we're here to know God. That's why we're here. We're not here to make you happy. I'm, I, I tell jokes that nobody thinks are funny. Uh, and, and I try to be a good communicator because I don't want people just sleeping incessantly and snoring i do that for you. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. Uh, but, but really, we're not here so that you can hear a nice little talk or, or hear great music. That's not why we're here. That's not why we do this. We do this so that you and I gathered together in corporate worship might know God more fully. That's why we're here. And when we gather for worship, we know God in his holiness and his perfection. We see our own sinfulness, but then we see and know God more fully in his forgiving love. And we know God more fully in his missionary heart. You know, worship is not complete until we who worship God say, I'm here to serve. Send me and I'll go. I hope, you, I hope that you worshiped God this week. Uh, but when we gather together, the reason we have corporate worship every week is because God has established corporate worship to help us know him more fully. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of our church. We'll get there at, at, toward the end of this message, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about the church and what the church is about and who the church is and as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, I, I want you and I to see that, that Jesus has established or Jesus has, has established the church and he has determined to grow this church and make us who he wants us to be. The picture of Ephesians 2 is not just some individual grow, growing up in Christ, but rather it's... Jesus growing us up together to be his church. There is no I in team. How many times have you heard that? If you played any kind of sports, you've, you, unless it's golf, you've probably heard there is no I in team. Can I just say there is I in Christianity or in Christian, but there is no I. Single solo journey of the Christian faith. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about just a single solo journey. Now, certainly, there's that moment in time where I come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's that moment when God, in His great grace, uh, opens my eyes to see Eric Thomas's sinfulness and and his need for a Savior, not his need to join a church, not his need to be dunked in a tub, but his need to be rescued from his from sin's embrace and God in his grace sparks in my heart the faith to believe that Jesus is my hope and he is my savior and I am miraculously transformed by God's grace in that moment and and so that that is a personal experience nobody can choose Christ for me does that make sense there are no proxies that gets somebody else to heaven. I, I can't get my children to choose Jesus as Savior and King. I can't choose my children to become followers of Jesus. They make that choice. Okay? So, so it doesn't happen by proxy. It happens by individual journey. And most of you in the room today, you've made that journey. You have experienced that transforming work of God's grace in your heart and in your life. You have been transformed. You have been made brand new, and that is great. But, friends, that's where the individualism of the Christian faith ends. When Scripture talks about us growing as followers of Jesus, it's not an individual journey. It is a corporate journey. It's us doing it together. And that's how Jesus operates. That's what, uh, that's what Paul's getting at. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 19. He says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building. Now, when he's talking about building, he's not talking about bricks and mortar. He's talking about you and me in whom the whole building being fitted together not individually a standalone stone but all of us being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the lord in whom again temple is not bricks and mortar temple is us the body of christ first norfolk into a holy temple in the lord in whom you also are being built together underlined together You are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The whole, and that's about the church. That's about First Norfolk. Uh, that, That is not some old, outdated perspective. That is the here and now address about who First Norfolk is. Jesus grows us together, He grows you up as He grows me up as he grows us up together for us to be a healthy church we must be grown up together and that's a work of a a living God working through the word of God by the power of the spirit of God in our church so in order to get to the corporate I need to I need to begin where Ephesians 2 begins and uh, Ephesians 2 may be my favorite chapter I know I've said this about others, but it may be my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's definitely my favorite chapter in all of Paul's letters, except maybe Philippians 2. But but Ephesians 2 is the top three, or at least top five. Okay, so Ephesians 2. I love Ephesians 2. Why? Because it tells us our journey. You're on a journey. You're a follower of Christ. You're on this journey. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, this is the journey you got to be on. Okay, so if I can, just paint this picture of your journey and my journey and our journey. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, the apostle Paul begins by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air uh, who now works among the sons of disobedience among whom you also once conducted yourselves in lust of the flesh and of the mind and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You were dead. Verse four, but God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, verse 5, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. Our journey as a church, this is who we are as a church. We're no longer dead, but now we're alive. That's your journey if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. You're no longer dead, but you're alive. Our church, no longer dead, but alive. We're the gathering of the living, not the dead. We've gathered here as people who have been rescued from the sin that separated us from God, that created a chasm of death in which we dwelt. We are no longer in that chasm of death. We are now riding high on the wings of Christ's righteousness so that we live in intimacy with the living God, part of his family. We are no longer dead but now we live if you're still dead you're not yet a follower of Jesus it doesn't matter how many forms you sign and things you do you're still separated from God by your sin the good news is Jesus came to rescue us who are separated. we were dead so Jesus came and died the death that we deserved, so that he might give us life we are Made alive together with Christ. Jesus is the only answer to the sin problem. And all of us have the sin problem, and sin kills us. But because of Jesus, we're no longer dead, but now we're alive. Because of Jesus, we're no longer far, but now we are near. You go down in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. We'll stop there. What's he saying there? Well, we were far. We were far off. We were far off, separated from hope, separated from life because we're separated from God. We were living without hope because we were living without God in this world. We were far from God. But those who once were far off have been brought near. How? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus built the bridge that we needed to get sinners like you and me to a holy God. He died on a cross. He spilt his blood so that we might have peace with God. So that we who were far might be brought near to God. Good news. Okay, we were far, but now we're near through the blood of Jesus Christ. But verse 14 tells us even more. It says that he took us, all of us who were far, and he's brought us near and he's made us one. See, it's not, not only I was far from God, but I was far from you. I, I was far from others. I was I was living a life of of, of loneliness and isolation, uh, singing my litany of of of, of 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 my mournful tones of of doom and gloom because I was separated and separate from you, from others, from God, and I could play the game of being commit uh, c- connected and and i could play the game of having strong relationship but the reality is because of sin and because there was a dead spot in my soul i was distanced from god and i was distanced from you but the good news is because the blood of jesus christ i've been brought near to god and at the same time i've been brought near to you you're no longer far off from each other but now you're brought near together as one this is the church This is not an organization of of rules and regulations, although it is, but that's not what creates us. What creates us is that God in his great wisdom brings us together and makes us one. We were far off from God. We've been brought near to God. We were far off from one another. We've been brought near to one another. We were dead, but now we live. No longer dead, now alive. No longer far, but now near. No longer strangers, but now saints. Turn to the person to your right. Turn to the person to your left and say, you're a saint. Some of you had to choke on that a little bit, didn't you? A little bit of a struggle. You know what makes us a saint? It's not what we do. It's not what we've done. It's not what we'll do. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's what makes us a saint. I want you to see here in verse 19, you, you therefore are no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're no longer strangers. You're no, you're no longer stranger to the promises of God that provides a pathway for you to have life in all of its fullness. But now you are a saint. You know what that means? It means you have been made holy. Now, there is nothing you can do to make yourself holy. Absolutely zero. And we've tried all our lives to make ourselves holy. It just does not work. Because there is enough ugly, called sin, in me to damage holy in a moment's notice. With the spark of a thought. Thoughts I'm thinking right now about you. It just... fault you're thinking right now about me or about one of it's it, we're not holy because of anything that we have done or anything that we do we are holy because the shed blood of jesus christ covers us we are washed in his blood we are covered in the robes of christ's righteousness when by faith we repent our sin and we cling to jesus as our holy hope as our savior as our king in that moment in that wondrous transaction of god's grace he he makes us holy because he covers us with the righteousness of Christ as As Jesus takes on the ugly of Eric Thomas, past, present, future, he covers me in his holiness and his righteousness. I am a saint because of Jesus Christ, but it's not just me being a saint all by myself. The picture here is we are saints together. Together. This is a community of believers, not of perfect people, but of people covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, so that we are no longer strangers from one another, but we are saints together. We're no longer foreigners, but now we're family. Verse 19, we're no longer foreigners. We're no longer far away from each other, but we have been brought near. To God and to one another. We're no longer foreigners to the covenants of God's promise. We are no longer foreigners to uh, what it means to be part of his family because God in his grace has made us part of his family. We are citizens of the household of God. We're, that, that's family language, folks. You're part of God's family. That's what First Norfolk is. First Norfolk is an amalgamation of people with like ideas and like interests. This is a holy creation of a holy God bringing together his people, fitting them together under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the blanket of his righteous robe so that together we might grow. We're no longer foreigners. We're family. You are my family. I am your family. Do you ever feel like when you get in church, it's not much of a family. No, that's that's something we got we gotta remedy because that's who we are. We're no longer dead. We're alive. We're no longer far. We're near. We're no longer strangers. We're saints. We're no longer foreigners. We're family. We are no longer alone, but now we are together. When I go uh, hiking or fishing, I never go hiking just for hiking's sake. I go hiking to go fishing. When I go hiking to go fishing, one of the things that uh, my wife has demanded, rightly so, uh, you know, I'm not as good as I once was. Um, You know, I'm I'm not as strong as I used to be. Uh, Not as smart as I thought I used to be. Um, So whenever I go fishing, I always have to go with somebody Uh, again. Rule my wife has made, and I obediently follow her uh, leadership. I'm spiritually submissive to her leadership. Um, now that's just called wisdom, folks. Yeah, you know, that's just wise because my wife said it, then I do it. That's called wisdom. Anyway, so uh, she she wants me to be safe, and so uh, I, uh, I always go with somebody, go, go fishing with somebody. And, and I've learned that that's very important because, uh, when you go fishing, especially in some of the mountain streams, you're going in, in far back. You're not fishing on the side of the road. You're, you're hiking back in. And when you hike back in, uh, and you're facing swift streams, uh, it's important, uh, to have stability as you cross those swift streams. This picture here is a picture of, um, a village or a group of villagers in South America who were trying to get from one location back to their village but the rainy season hit and the water rose rapidly and and the only way for them to cross the stream was to cross the stream together The good news is they were not alone they were together when I go fishing what I've realized is that four legs are better than two legs crossing the river six legs are better than four legs eight legs are better than six 10 legs are better than eight and 12 legs are better than 10 and on and on it goes it is far safer to be together even fishing what what we find in this passage is a picture of the church where we are not alone we are together we were dead now we're alive we were strangers now we're saints we were far. Now we're near. <laughs> we were foreigners. Now we're family. We were alone, but now we're together. That—that's who we are. Up to this point, I've just described what the Bible says about us. You look again in in verse twenty and twenty one and twenty two. Paul says that that. Uh, that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This togetherness is what the church is about. Jesus is growing us to be a display of God's presence in the world. First Norfolk, that's that's what he's growing us to be. And he's doing it by bringing us together. Now, we know the value of together rather than alone. And not just wading a mountain stream, but it's in life itself. being together, there's more strength when you're in this together. There's more more compassion when you're in this together. Uh, uh, Sorrows are halved joys are multiplied when you're in this together there's a lot more wisdom when you're in this together there's accountability when you're in this together god established the church not so that we could be uh... soloed or siloed from other people but he 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 established us in the church so that we might not be alone but be together so how do we accomplish that at our church at first norfolk if if the goal of the church is for jesus to grow us together to be the kind of church he wants us to be how do, how does that happen in our church well we follow what i think is a very biblical pattern now when when we look at corporate worship the goal of corporate worship is to know god when we look at growing together how do we how do we make that work? What is the pathway that our church utilizes for us to grow together? The, the pathway where uh, the Spirit of God works through the apostles and prophets and, and Jesus fits us all together and grows us up to a holy dwelling place for the Lord. How, how does all that work? What's, what's that pathway for that majestic work of God? Well, again, it's a biblical pattern that I think goes back to the very inauguration of the church in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a, a powerful passage. It, it may be one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 um, Y'all know Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Before he ascends, it is after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and spent some time with his disciples. Now he's going to the right hand. Before he leaves and goes up to heaven, he says, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the disciples and the followers of Jesus get together and they're, and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and then all of a sudden Acts chapter two, the Spirit of God falls. I mean literally falls. And the Spirit of God gives voice to the church in that moment and Peter stands up and he preaches and he preaches a simple message, something like what we hear today. The message that, that Peter preaches is you're dead but you can be alive. You're far from God, but you can be drawn near. You're strangers to God, but you can become saints. You're foreigners (laughs) to the promise of God, but you can become part of the family of God. You're alone now, but you can be together. At the end of Peter's sermon, pointing to the cross of Christ as that wondrous work of God's grace to bring us into the family of God and to forgive our sin The people responded and said, oh my goodness, what must we do? And on that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ. On that day, 3,000 people were baptized into the church. 3,000, can you imagine? 3,000, one day. So what did the church do in response to that? We see in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, says that they devoted themselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, to the break, uh, to fellowship, which included the breaking of bread or eating together and praying together. That, that's how they navigated the three thousand new believers. They kept it real simple. Let's. Devote ourselves to the apostle doctrine. Now, if you look in Ephesians 2.20, it says that the church is grown up together, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, that's similar language to Acts 2.42. What is it talking about? It's talking about Scripture. saying that, that Scripture becomes a foundation stone for us to grow together. And so the church got together, and they, they, they devoted themselves to God's Word. Not only did they devote themselves to God's Word, but they devoted themselves to sharing life together. That's the fellowship part. uh, They they shared life together. They they broke bread together. They ate together. Um, they, uh, uh, they, They prayed together. Now, did they have a big building like this in which to do it? So they all got together in the Colosseum, the 3,000 plus people got together in the Colosseum and, and, and they, they had a, a megaphone at the front of the Colosseum and there was uh, Peter standing up and preaching on a regular basis. Is that what they did? No. That, there wasn't a room big enough in Jerusalem to house all the people who became followers of Christ. By the way, a few weeks later, we see another 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. So what did, what did they do? How did they navigate? How, what did they do to break God's word together, to, to open God's word, to share God's word, to uh, chew on God's word, to digest God's word together. How did, they, how did they deal with God's word? Well, they got in their homes. They, they got in that small segment of people around them and, and they opened God's word. They devoted themselves steadfastly to what God's word said. In that small group. And and what did they do? Did they have a big banquet hall? They they rent out the Ted and, and have a big meal for all three thousand people every regularly? No. And they got together in homes. And they're small groups and they ate meals together and they prayed together. Y'all see where I'm going with this, I hope. The pathway for Jesus to grow us up together to become the church he desires for us to be the pathway is in our small groups I, that's just biblical. I think. I, th- I think we find it throughout Scripture that it's not the big gathering. Although there's nothing wrong with this. I'm I'm a fan, right? I, I want you to be here, but the the engine for our church and the engine for us being the church together is not what happens in here. It's what happens in the small group. This church, First Norfolk, is not a a church with a bunch of small groups. Uh, no, no. First Norfolk is a church of small groups. We what makes up the church is the small groups. We call them life groups. We used to call them Sunday school. Some of you still do. But it's small groups whether meeting on location <clears throat> or off location, that's not the point. The point is we gather together and we grow together and Jesus fits us together and 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 he He brings family to our hearts through the small group. Uh, We share life together. That's the fellowship. Are you sharing life with people in this church? Maybe you feel disconnected from the church because you're not sharing life with others in the church. That's what the church is built for. It's built for us to share life together, to open God's word together. We have small groups, we call them life groups, and these small groups are designed for us to grow together. It is the pathway that Jesus uses to grow us up together to become the church he wants us to be. So the question is, are you in a small group? Are you in a life group? If not... I beg you today, let's grow together to be the church God wants us to be. The way we walk in the fear of the Holy Spirit, the way we walk in the fear of the Lord is by by worshiping God and seeing him for who he is, knowing God through worship. The way we we walk, live, led by the Holy Spirit is when we connect together together in our small groups especially in our small groups so that we are being built up together as the temple of the Holy Spirit today this is how we hoist the sails the, the, the wind of God's favor is blowing. You know, the wind of God's favor is blowing at First Norfolk, at, at our Kempsville location, our Volvo location, with our Hispanic fellowship. Uh, the, the wind of God's favor is blowing. We can see it, but, but the way we hoist the sails and, and we, we, we stretch the sails and grab every inch of that wind of God's favor is primarily through the small groups. That's how we grow together. You're no longer dead. You're alive. You're not far from God. You've been brought near. You're not, you're not a stranger anymore. You're a saint. You're not a foreigner. You're part of the family. You're not alone anymore. We're together. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, in these moments as we have heard from your word, I pray that you would overwhelm us with a sense of your calling on our lives to be together, that we would see and understand more fully that you've designed the church and especially the small groups so that Jesus' might grow us up together to be the church he wants us to be healthy so we might fulfill your plan so father i pray first and foremost that you would help us respond obediently to your word and if there's some here today god that have yet to move from that place of death to life there are some who are still far from you because of their sin and haven't been brought near through faith in Christ i pray o oh god that you would today draw them to yourself by your holy spirit that you would convict their hearts of their sinfulness and their need of your forgiving love through faith in jesus christ i pray that you would spark in their hearts by your grace spark in their hearts the faith they need to be transformed to be made new to move from death to life from far to near from stranger to saint from foreigner to family I pray oh God that you would do that work in their hearts even now give them the courage to respond and say yes to your call upon their life for others in this room who are followers of Christ I pray O oh God that you would convict all of us to connect together as you have designed through the life groups that you've made available and now may we be fit together according to your great design and may we grow together and it's in the name of Jesus we pray amen